This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The second GOP debate left us all a little shook. I'll give you my reaction. Then I've got the big guns tonight. Senator Rand Paul joins me to discuss his efforts to end the unconstitutional love triangle between big government, big tech, and big pharma. And last but not least, my losers of the week. The show starts now. From Donald Duck to Curtain Gate and so much more, debate number two is in the books, and it was sure something. Chris Christie came to, what do the young people call it, eat and leave no crumbs? And I want to look in that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching, okay? And you're not here tonight. Not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. Look, I think I've been the only one on this stage who's been clear about this. I vote Donald Trump off the island right now. Every person on this stage has shown the respect for Republican voters to come here to express their views honestly, candidly, and directly. He needs and to be voted off the island, and he needs to be taken out of this process. Oh, and everyone is still seemingly pretty annoyed at Vivek. A win that has for actually, Russia is a that win is not for true. China. We're driving a Russia. Russia excuse, is me. A win for China. excuse me. If you have but a chance, I forgot you like China. Have, That's no, why you, you're have, As I said in the last debate, I'll say again: this is no time for on-the-job training. And what we've party, seen is you've gone and you've helped China stop. build make medicines in China, not America. Me, excuse you are me. now wanting kids to go and get on the social media that's dangerous for all of us. You went and you were in business with the Chinese that gave Hunter Biden five million dollars. We can't trust you. I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. I can't imagine how you can say that knowing that you were just in business with the Chinese Communist Party and the same people that funded Hunter Biden millions of dollars was a partner this of yours as well. It's not nonsense. So look, here's not, what I'm, I'm, and I will say aside from that lady from Univision, Nikki Haley was the least likable person in the room. I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. Secondly, on the uh, curtains, do your yes. homework, Tim, because Obama bought those curtains. Did you send them back? It's in the press. Did you send them back? It's the State Department. Did you send them Did back? you send them back? You're the one that works in Congress. Oh, my gosh. You get it You done. hung them on your, your, your curtains. I, they your were curtains. there before I even showed up at the residence. It's Ron DeSantis is against fracking. He's against drilling. <laughs> He's been against. You did it. Every He always talks about what happens on day one. You better watch out, because what happens on day two is when you're in trouble day two in florida you banned fracking you banned <laughs> offshore drilling you did true. it on federal lands and you took green subsidies that you didn't have to take you know i honestly expected all of that but a couple of things did surprise me i'm not gonna lie as someone born and raised in the dakotas governor Burgum made me proud he answered the questions he didn't play the bs he was straightforward and direct and he made his presence known and i like that and as for ron DeSantis, he landed some punches last night and he finally took on trump 
Where's Joe Biden? He's completely missing in action from leadership. And you know who else is missing in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. He owes it to you to defend his record where they added 7.8 trillion to the debt. That set the stage for the inflation that we have. And I reject this idea that pro-lifers are to blame for midterm defeats. I think there's other reasons for that. Uh, the former president, um, you know, he's missing in action tonight. He's had a lot to say about that. He should be here explaining his comments to try to say that pro-life protections are somehow a terrible thing. I want him to look into the eyes and tell people who've been fighting this fight for a long time. Polls don't elect presidents. Voters elect presidents. Right. And we're going to take the case of the people in these early states. We're going to do it in a state-by-state -state direction. And why? Because as Reagan said in his day, this is our time for choosing. We are not getting a mulligan on the 2024 election. Republicans have lost three straight elections in a row. We were supposed to have a red wave with inflation at 9%. It crashed and burned. Not in Florida, it didn't. We delivered it in Florida. And so we've got to choose right. We've got to win. And we need somebody that's going to be able to serve two terms. So in January of 2023, they'll be able to address the nation saying, we turned the economy around, we secured the border, and we fended off the threat from communist China. As your president, I will get that job done. So that needed to happen for Ron DeSantis. He can't afford to tiptoe around the mega landmines anymore. He's got to go for the jugular and he's got to keep doing it. But was there a clear winner, a clear loser? Here now to help me break it all down is Lita Healthcare CEO Madison Campbell. All right, Madison, obviously we've seen the clips. I know you yeah. watched last night. Um, I, I can't stop thinking about that debate. Top line thoughts. Do you think there was a clear winner and a clear loser? Well, I think DeSantis really stopped the bleeding from the first debate. I mean, that first debate was really killer for him. It was not great. And so while I don't want to necessarily give DeSantis the complete win, um, I do think that he did a really, really good job. I think he did a good job, too. And I was, I've was i been waiting for him to finally take on Trump. And I know yeah. that it's a precarious situation for him to be in because he doesn't want to make the supporters angry, and you never want to make the supporters angry. He needs those supporters. If he's ever going to be the nominee, if he's ever going to hold political office, he needs Trump supporters. But he does have to go after Trump because I think that the amount of time he has spent kind of dodging it or not addressing Trump or saying things here and there but not really going for it, I think that's made him appear weak. And I think if he wants to take on Donald Trump, listen, he is the second in line after Trump in the polls. So He's got to land those punches. I'm glad he did that last night. Uh, I have my clear loser. I think it was Nikki Haley. So the first debate, I don't like Nikki Haley, by the way, but yeah. the first debate, I thought she actually performed pretty well. And I think that's why you saw her numbers go up yeah. because she did a good job. She did a great job with the abortion issue. Yeah. I thought she was direct last night. I know the feminists are going to say you can't attack her for this because you attack women for being bossy and you attack women for being aggressive. But watching her, I think she came off very petty and very unlikable. Did you get that same sense? I think the name calling, the kind of interrupting was not appropriate. I mean, we have one woman on the stage who's vying, you know, and she's actually been doing pretty well, right? You know, she had a very nuanced take on abortion, which I think is exactly what we need um, during the primary. Right. You know, I think that, that was very important to young voters, right? young Republican voters need to see a nuanced approach on abortion. And I thought she did amazingly on the first debate. But this one was very different. It yep. was very different. The interrupting, um, her comment towards Vivek, I don't really think that that was necessary because, you know, we as women, we're coming at this as, you know, we're one out of how many candidates that are vying for this. We can't be 
doing the same thing that Chris Christie was doing with, you know, making a joke like Donald Duck, which obviously, where did that joke even come from? You could tell that he tried to practice it in front of a mirror and even his reflection didn't laugh. Right. You know, that was something that was not hilarious to anyone. And she didn't have to do that, right? She could have had nuanced takes. And then her take on Ukraine, I thought, was also not really great. Yeah, that's my big thing. You know, she even piped up. The, quest the question was not directed to her. Yeah. And somebody started saying we shouldn't defend Ukraine in perpetuity. And she had to jump in because that's what gets her most excited is sending more money over to Ukraine. And that's one of the main reasons why I don't like Nikki Haley. But I think last night she just made herself appear supremely unlikable. I tweeted I thought it was very Hillary Clinton-esque. It just I didn't like her. I didn't like to listen to her. Her voice is grating to me anyway. But I just found her completely unlikable. I don't think it's going to play well for her. I think she wanted to be like the badass bitch in the room, and it didn't land. Uh, Vivek, though. His first debate, he did well, uh, much better than people anticipated because he says all the right things. I mean, the man has got a silver tongue. I mean, he's slick he and he says the things he needs to say and it sounds great. Last night though, I think that his people, or in his estimation, he thought the first debate, he came off like a know-it-all and he came off like a little pompous brat. So I think this one, he really tried to shield himself from that right. by constantly repeating that, oh, Ronald Reagan wouldn't want us to fight. Ronald Reagan wouldn't want us to attack, attack each yeah. other. I don't know how well that played for him. I'll be interesting to see how it impacts his polls. But what do you think? Was last night shaky for him? I, I don't think he was a clear winner last night. Um, no. I think in the first debate, it was very interesting to watch him. It was kind of out of nowhere. And you had this guy who kind of reminds me of like a student class president coming mm -hmm. up. You know, he's a young guy. He represents a younger voice, which I think is incredibly important. But last night, I don't really think that he had nuanced takes that were necessary. I don't know if I necessarily agree with the birthright, you know, take that he had. You know, I don't think that that's going to necessarily win voters, especially young voters, which is exactly where we need to be focusing on the next Republican primary. So I see what you're saying on that. Yeah. Um, I worry, though, that as much as we need to win young voters, I worry that the decimation of the future of our nation by letting millions and millions of illegals abuse the system For that sure. way is going to be more detrimental to our voting chances and abilities in perpetuity of eternity yeah. than maybe angering some bleeding heart Gen Zers right now and, and millennials yeah. right now. But last night, uh, there was a lot of discussion on immigration. Yeah. The Univision host. She was really vying for She's from the Democratic Party, yeah, right? They she, put her there. <laughs> she was really vying for illegal immigration. Yes. I mean, I understand that it's important to have that voice. The Latino vote is going to be important. Uh, Ron DeSantis did very well with those voters in Florida. But uh, the questions to me were annoying. Um, time and time again, she tried to advocate for illegal immigration and those that are invading our country. At one point, even blaming Americans for the fentanyl crisis, talking about the smugglers being American, probably birthright Americans. But uh, that part did yeah. frustrate me. I wonder, though, I think the answers on immigration were good. And I'm glad that none of them tried to play soft on it. No, they weren't soft on it at all. And I do believe that that is going to be an incredibly important thing that we have to focus on. We have to focus on securing our borders. You know, that is 100% going to be what moves the needle. We're seeing the migrant crisis. I mean, in New York, right? I started my company in New York. I have tons of employees in New York. What's happening on Staten Island is insane to me, you know? And the amount of money, New York is just getting like a taste of what it's like. Mm -hmm. But what happens when the rest of the country, you know, starts to feel that, right? I'm originally from Pittsburgh. Um, you know, having those folks come in when we're already suffering from lack of jobs, manufacturing jobs are gone, 
you know, I was just with my family and, you know, family members of mine are struggling to get a job, um, you know, even $30,000, $40,000 a year. Wow. And those are who we need to be focusing on. We need to be focusing on blue collar workers, the workers that are here in America that have come here legally who want to actually, you know, make the U.S. economy better. That's who we need to be focusing on. And just workers in general, people yeah. that are willing to work. Yeah. I think that the spotlight is going to be on those people in 2024. Another thing, which was not part of the debate, but it might as well have been, uh, is Gavin Newsom. I don't know if you <laughs> saw his interaction with Hannity post-debate in the spin room, but he makes me nervous for a lot of reasons. Um, I followed Gavin Newsom very closely over the years. I lived in California for four years, yeah. so I'm very familiar with him and his policies. I know that they are wreaking havoc on California, but it's really difficult because he is... He's At almost least like, he's young. He's you know? young, but he is... To me, it's like he's got a forked tongue, like he's the devil, and he speaks very well. You know, he speaks well, and he presents his own facts in such a confident way that he makes me very nervous. I've been saying it since January. I think this is a soft launch for his campaign. I do think he's going to be the Democrat nominee, but that that back and forth with Hannity last night... Um, I mean, he did eventually say, no, 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 I, I'm, I wouldn't take the nominee, but you know that's a lie. Like, yeah. of course he would. Yeah, you know, they are, they'll find a way to couch yeah. it in, well, I must, I must step up. And they, they'll find a way to make it some kind of a, a duty-filled yeah. expression of patriotism. That's what I think is going to happen. But he also is cozying up to Trump, which is great for Gavin right now. Yeah. But if it ends up being Gavin Newsom and Donald Trump, um, I fear. I fear for the election because I think Gavin Newsom is going to get the young voters, as you mentioned. I think that he can rally them for none other than the fact that a lot of them are stupid. I mean, and there's so many people that are in California that have seen the policies, but do we want the policies that have gone in California for the rest of the country? That's not going to work. You know, do we want his leadership that he's shown in California to be happening what's in New York or be happening what's in, happening in Texas? You know, at the borders, we can't have that. You know, so the one fit, you know, of California and his policies in California is not going to fit with the rest of the country. I agree with you. I, I don't even know don't, if it fits in California. It, do, it definitely doesn't fit in California, but it worries me because even Californians tried to recall the man, but then now yeah. they, they just, they so soon forget. And living in California, when you vote yourself a gas tax numerous times, I'm not sure Californians get it. I hope Americans get it. Yeah. But there's a lot of low information people out there that just listen to a soundbite and they think this guy sounds good. That's what concerns me. But you mentioned the young vote, and that's where I want to end with this because yeah. you're the, the fantastic voice to speak to this. Yeah. For much of my career, I have been laser-focused on the young vote as well. Yeah. And I think it's going to be so incredibly important. I'm a millennial. I believe you're Gen Z. Um, good luck with Gen Z. But <laughs> yeah. I, I'm wondering what can be done to entice young voters without compromising our principles. Like, for example, young people care about climate change. Well, we're not going to compromise there, right? We're not going to kill great energy jobs because of the green cult. Um, the LGBTQ barbecue rainbow, rainbow cult. We're not going to embrace transgenderism and all of this to appease the young vote. And so there, and BLM, another thing, we're not going to appease BLM, the Buying More Mansions Club. We're not going to appease them to get the vote. So what way can we do it yeah. that resonates without compromising everything we stand for? Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, past just the social issues, what we really care about is the fact that we are graduating college with an exorbitant amount of debt, and we're unable to get good-paying jobs. 
that's something where I believe that if a Republican candidate can come in and create a plan where we're not going to be, you know, going to college for four years or getting an MBA or going and getting a law degree or becoming a doctor, right? We have a massive shortage of primary care doctors across this country. We should be incentivizing those people. We should be incentivizing people that want to go into public service, right? You know, I think truly in order to get the Gen Z vote, we need to unburden them from actually feeling the financial pressures that we're feeling with inflation. And so that means giving them an opportunity to be able to get a good job means the opportunity to finally buy a house, right? If we could That's just- That's a big thing. That's yeah. a big thing. Yeah. yeah, I can't afford a house. Like I'm gonna have to get you know help or I'm gonna have to save up for multiple you know, yep. amounts of years. So if we could just have a common sense you know, candidate that comes in and says, look, you know, I'm not going to talk about the social issues, we'll talk about them later, but let's talk about these major financial issues that you're having. You have debt, you can't buy a house. How can you start a family? Because you can't afford a family with childcare so much. And so yeah. the traditional dream of, you know, young millennials or Gen Zers, we, we can't have that. Right. We can't have that at all. And so that's where I think we need to focus our energy. I think you're right on that. I just worry that the low-hanging fruit is just forgiving student loans, no, and the yeah. Democrats have already promised that. They've already done everything they can, even unconstitutionally, to yeah. try to try to get that through. So that's what worries me, is that a Republican's going to come in and say, here's the reality, and a Democrat's going to come in and say, or we can just forgive your loans. And Which didn't work. It didn't work, but there's a lot of people, a lot of Gen Zers, and even millennials, who still hold on to that hope, and they still think that eventually someone is going to just hand them money. And yeah. that worries me. Um, last thing I want to ask you, Vivek brought it up last night. Do you think Republicans need to be on TikTok? <laughs> well, I want to go back to the younger vote, right? So when we think about the younger vote, we unfortunately know that those folks are on TikTok, right? Whether or not we want to believe it, you know, those people are getting information about election. They're getting information about different candidates from TikTok. And so we either have to do a better job educating young folks about the dangers of TikTok, the dangers of China, the dangers of the Chinese Communist Party, actually, you know, using mm -hmm. TikTok to educate us on things that we, you know, should not be educated on. And we have to also, you know, accept the reality that TikTok is being used by a lot of Gen Zers, a lot of millennials. They are getting their primary source of information from TikTok. And so we do have to, you know, use that platform in order to talk to those voters. But yeah. overall, like, do I believe TikTok's a good thing? No, and I believe that it is a proponent of China trying to infiltrate into the United States. That's what really worries me. I, I understand the need to be relevant on it. I'm personally not on it. Yeah. Um, but I know that it's going to be an elephant in the room because we are gonna need to reach these people some way, somehow. Yeah. They're not, unfortunately, a lot of them are not watching Fox News and they're not listening to conservative podcasts. Though I do think that podcasting is a feather in our cap and I do think that it's something that conservatives need to do more of yeah. because young people are also listening to podcasts. But yeah. I appreciate you. You are you know, a rising star in the conservative movement. I know that you have plans to run in the future and I'm very excited for you. We need more young voices. So Thank you. God bless you on all your success. Thank you for being in Nashville. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you after the next one. Thank you so much. The Biden White House coordinated with eager and willing big tech platforms to censor and suppress speech and at times even irrefutable truths that simply agitated the tyrants who wanted you mass muzzled and quadruple vaxxed and I'm no stranger to this. 
On more than one occasion, the White House asked Facebook to reduce me on the platform and went so far as to inquire about altering the algorithm so my followers would see less of me and more of the New York Times. And while the federal appeals court has dealt a blow to this practice, we need so much more. My next guest has been fighting tooth and nail to make sure this big tech, big government collusion is stopped dead in its tracks with the Free Speech Protection Act. This needed and long overdue legislation would prohibit federal employees and contractors from using their positions to censor and otherwise attack speech protected by the First Amendment and impose mandatory severe penalties for those individuals that violate this rule. Joining me now, the man behind this bill and Lord Fauci's worst nightmare, Senator Rand Paul. Senator, first of all, thank you so much for, for also being with me, but for this Free Speech Protection Act, because I am so happy that someone is doing something, finally. Well, thanks for having me, Tommy. I'm, I'm astounded that all of the media is not behind the First Amendment. It used to be the media were the biggest defenders of the First Amendment. So when I talk to a traditional a uh, person on broadcast TV and they're sitting in front of me with their camera, a reporter from a, you know, Washington Post or whatever comes in, I, I say, wouldn't it be extraordinary if at the end of our interview, you were asked to have a meeting with the FBI and go over what questions you ask and what my responses were to see if they were appropriate? Wouldn't, wouldn't you be appalled? And they would be, but they somehow have let their guard down and they think it's not such a big deal for Twitter or Facebook which are actually much bigger than the Washington Post or bigger uh, than any other form of traditional broadcast media, and they don't seem to care. But it's an alarming thing when you imagine that every week the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security sit down in a meeting face-to-face -face with Twitter officials, Facebook officials, and tell them what can and cannot be produced. And then when Twitter complained about it, they said they didn't complain about censoring people. They just said, hey, guys, it's a lot of work. Can you pay us? The FBI said, sure, we'll pay you. And the FBI paid Twitter $3 million to censor people. I mean, it is amazing to me that the entire world of the media has not come down like a hammer on this. And yet we hear nothing but crickets from the left. And a lot of this has been surrounding COVID, me in particular, I mean, it's in black and white numerous times, The White House Digital Director Rob Flaherty, who I believe is no longer there, on numerous occasions asked Facebook to reduce me, to reduce Tucker Carlson, even altering the algorithm so that they would see things like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal instead of people like me that they are following. And in those emails, he actually specifically outlined that he didn't want it getting out that I said I wouldn't personally get the vaccine. But they all label this under misinformation and health and safety. So how does the Free Speech Protection Act, how does it get around what they've been using as cover of misinformation or a health emergency or protecting the greater good? Well, as I looked at this situation, I was outraged like everybody else, but I wanted to make sure that we weren't going to put limitations on Twitter or Facebook. As much as I despise their left-wing stance, it is against the First Amendment for me or any part of government to tell Twitter what they can or cannot broadcast. In fact, that's what we're objecting to. So what I said is, what can we do to stop this? 
but not by regulating private business, but by regulating what the government can do interacting with that. So I think there are no limits to the regulations we can place on the FBI or the Department of Homeland Security or any government agents that want to meet with media. I can't tell media not to screen me. I can't tell the Washington Post to print my op-eds. I can't tell Twitter to not downgrade me. But I sure as hell can tell the FBI they cannot meet and collude with media. So our bill is very much centered on the government and the government's half of the equation because I think there are no limits to limitations on government. But there truly are problems. And there are some conservatives who said, let's just go after Twitter and tell them they can't suppress us or that Facebook can't suppress us. As much as I don't like what they're doing to us, and YouTube has taken down speeches I actually gave on the floor of the Senate. I don't like it, but like with regard to YouTube, I chose to put my stuff on Rumble. I don't put stuff on YouTube anymore. I just chose not to use them. And it may be imperfect, but that's what we have to do is try to escape these the clutches of these people. But we shouldn't let our government paid for by our tax dollars. So our bill would prevent it. And it's actually similar to what Missouri versus Biden is doing. The judge has put an injunction and the judge says the meetings have stopped. And believe it or not, they were still doing these weekly meetings, even despite all the criticism. The FBI and Department of Homeland Security was meeting with Twitter and Facebook still weekly. Those meetings have ended because of the injunction. We've now gone to the appellate court. And my hope is we get to the Supreme Court. I think we've got a, a pretty good shot. The Supreme Court will agree with us. If it is, it'll be the biggest First Amendment case really in my lifetime, probably. It's going to be an amazing case if we can get it heard by the, by the Supreme Court. So what would the consequences be for the White House, their digital director, if they continued these communications, if they tried to reduce certain individuals, they directed Facebook or, or Twitter or YouTube to change algorithms to fit their narrative? What kind of penalties would they face for doing something like that? Uh, they will be fined and they'll lose their job. And uh, it's pretty direct. We try to make it as severe as it possibly can be that this won't be sloughed over. The problem anytime you try to enforce a law, though, and we found this even with Merrick Garland, is there is a law. For example, you're not supposed to lie to Congress, but Anthony Fauci lied to Congress and they just don't do anything about it. So part of enforcement of law is difficult in the sense that the law has become politicized at the Department of Justice. But we try to do everything possible within the bill to take away any leeway to let this go and to let it continue to happen. I've been trying to talk to Democrats because my hope is that some Democrats will remember. I mean, there was a time when the left was better on speech than the right during the 60s when the left defended Martin Luther King, defended civil rights protesters, the left defended Vietnam War protesters. They were great on this issue. They recognized the FBI needed limitations, that the power was run amok at the FBI under Hoover, and they recognize this. They seem to have forgotten it now. And when I talk to Democrats, I've gotten one to talk to me about it. And even he was like, well, what if people say the election's canceled and they trick people into not voting? And it's like, well, maybe the government could put out a public service announcement saying the election's not canceled. <laughs> um, or maybe we could educate people to be a little smarter about reading the internet. But the problem is it's hard to get a Democrat to agree to this. In fact, polls recently have shown that as much as 70% of Democrats think there should be restrictions on things that aren't true. But in your case, you saying you're not gonna be vaccinated is just simply your opinion, and it's a fact. Matt Ta Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger looked at this in the Twitter files, and they found out that they were suppressing things even that were uncontested, uncontestedly true. So for example, someone got the vaccine and died the next day. 
That doesn't mean the vaccine caused it, but you're more than welcome. And it is a fact that they got the vaccine and they died. And you shouldn't be prevented from actually saying that. Um, and then people will have to interpret it how they want to interpret it. But they were suppressing things that were demonstrably true and uh, taking that down. And this is, you know, th this is kind of where we are. It's The government became so involved in what the truth is. And frankly, the government just can't be trusted. Well, I agree with you on that. And speaking of people that need to be held accountable, I know that you've been at the forefront of trying to hold Tony Fauci accountable. And I know that you've done great work on that and you've been censored yourself in the process of doing that. But tell me about the great COVID cover-up. Tell me about how we're going to get to the bottom of this and, Senator, how we're going to prevent that era from ever creeping up on us ever again because there are many that want to have a COVID 2.0 just in time for the election, of course. How do we stop that in its tracks? Well, the book Deception, the great cover, the great COVID cover-up is coming out in the next couple of weeks, and it details the vast cover-up that went on, not just Tony Fauci, but through all reaches of government. The idea that there is a deep state is absolutely true. It's not that they're organized and have meetings and it's a cabal where they all decide, but it's where their interests converge. This is what George Carlin said. He said conspiracy interests are conspiracy theories are not necessary where interests converge. Their interest is basically this. They funded the research in China. They know it. They're very worried that the, the virus came from the lab, and they don't want culpability. They don't want responsibility. So they're hiding and stashing these research projects and trying to keep them from view. I have hundreds of pages that I've gotten from the HHS, Health and Human Services, through NIH, stacks of pages completely redacted. A 250-page report. They won't give me any of the words in the report. I know the title and who sent it out, and that's it. And this is not classified. I mean, th this is completely insane. We've never, ever seen non-classified documents hidden to the extent that we have during this pandemic. And one of the reasons I go after this is there has to be culpability for those who lied, cheated, stole, and are behind this. But we also need to try to prevent another pandemic from occurring. There are many scientists who believe that the next pandemic will be worse, that it may well leak from a lab again, and that we could have a pandemic of a virus that might kill 5 to 50% of the public. This pandemic, as bad as it was, the death rate was 0.3%. So 99.7% of the people survived, but 03 died, and that was still a million people in our country. Can you imagine 5, 10, 15, 20% of the people dying worldwide? Uh, that could happen if we're not careful. And these viruses, they are experimenting with ways to make them more transmissible. It's sort of a death wish for mankind to be doing this kind of research. And even a lot of common sense scientists are saying it ought to be regulated. Yeah, I would certainly hope so. Yeah, I hope we don't see the time again when we're locked down, when we're masked, when we're muzzled, when we're having to get a vaccine in order to keep our jobs. I mean, one of the dumbest times in American history. I know that you well know that because you've been preaching this for years now. So I think also there's a lot of distrust the American people have in our institutions like the CDC. So if there were to be this next pandemic that's actually very yeah. deadly, I think a lot of Americans aren't going to take it seriously because we've been lied to for three years now. I don't know where we go from here. I don't know how we get the trust of the American people back or how these institutions get the trust of the American people back when they are still to this day not honest about vaccine side effects. Well, see, I think you're exactly right. So they're trying to suppress you for saying you didn't want to get a vaccine because you're worried about side effects. 
and they say you will breed vaccine hesitancy. It's actually the opposite. When they lie to us about the vaccine, they're breeding vaccine hesitancy. So I've been fighting the Senate pages are required to have three vaccines. These are healthy kids that are 15, 16, 17 years old, and the Senate is making them get three vaccines. So I looked at the evidence. The FDA looked at the booster and said they only recommended it for 65 and older. The CDC vaccine committee looked at it and agreed, 65 and older. How did we get to where we're giving it to six-month-olds? It was overruled by Rochelle Walensky, a political appointee of Biden, overruled the two scientific committees to say, no, let's take it down to six months. But did they prove that it helped a six-month-year-old or a 15-year-old? No, because the death rate was already zero. They couldn't get better than zero. The hospitalization rate was so low for kids, they couldn't make that better. So they approved it on this basis. They didn't say that it would help the health of the child, but they said if you give this vaccine, the COVID vaccine to children, and you give them three vaccines, the child will make antibodies. And my response to Fauci on with this is, I can give your kid 100 vaccines, he'll make antibodies every time. It doesn't mean he needs it. And the other thing that you need to enter into any of the data, and the CDC has steadfastly lied about and excluded, is whether or not you've been infected. Being infected isn't inoculation. Vaccines are based on an infection. And when I say this, the left says, oh, you want everybody to be infected. No, I don't. But most people got infected whether I wanted them to or not. Most people who were vaccinated got infected. But people want to know the truth. So, for example, I get people who are in the middle on this. They're 75 years old. They were worried and they got two vaccines. But now they've had COVID twice, too. And so their question is, do I need to keep getting a booster every three months for a vaccine that evolves? And do we know all the side effects? It's difficult, but you base it on your risk factors. Your risk factors at your age, and I don't know your health status, but if you're healthy at your age, is virtually zero. And if you've already had COVID, you're not going to die. If you didn't die last time from it, you're not dying the next time from it. In fact, you have some immunity. In some ways, you've been vaccinated. And the studies that have been revealed show that actually being naturally inoculated by the virus is about twice as protective as actually being vaccinated. Well, Senator, not a day goes by that I wish I had gotten a COVID vaccine. I will tell you that. <laughs> Maybe someday. Uh, I highly doubt it, though. I will never regret not getting the jab. But thank you for everything that you've done for, for free speech, for uncovering the truth about COVID, its origins, and your book, Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up, coming out October 10th. Senator, you're an advocate for the people. Thank you so much for spending so much time with me today. Thanks for having me. God bless. And now for the moment I've been waiting for all week, it's time to crown some losers. Here we go. What do Hillary Clinton, Colin Kaepernick, and Christmas fruitcakes have in common? Few people like them, and they will just not go away no matter how much we all want them to. But this week, Colin Kaepernick's desperation for spotlight and a job reared its pathetic head yet again as he is begging the New York Jets to let him be a part of the team's practice squad. He even penned a letter to the organization expressing how honored and grateful he would be given the opportunity. He hasn't played since 2017, but he still feels his abilities are akin to a Mahomes or a Hertz. I got to hand it to him. He's confident. But what I still can't figure out is why he'd want to be a part of the league he has compared to slavery. By his own estimation and analysis, not mine, he is basically begging the NFL to enslave him. Football is over for Colin, just as presidential hopes are over for Hillary. And I would quite frankly like to see them both join Dancing with the Stars like all the other washed up celebrities and just call it a day. But speaking of dancing, number two on my list this week is Britney Spears. And while I don't necessarily deem her a loser, I am worried for her, her sanity, 
and her dogs. Here she is seemingly practicing to work at Benihana. Now, this isn't normal behavior, and I'm very worried for her. I truly am. Something is not right here. Whether those knives are real or fake, it really doesn't matter. I will stop short of saying she needs to be placed back under her conservatorship because you can't force people to get help. She needs to come to that conclusion on her own, and I hope she does as soon as possible. But moving on to my final loser this week, this thing called Meatball, who is apparently a social media influencer with over 600,000 followers. Now, Meatball decided to get a little extra content for her degenerate followers this week when she live-streamed and encouraged the mass looting and rioting that took place in Philly a couple nights back. Watch. Everybody must eat! Everybody must eat! Uh-oh, look, here come more people. Let's go. 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 Uh-oh, the cops. Look! Where mama's? Mama's the cops. Oh, my God, my sis, my sis, my sis. Just lovely. Well, these team thugs smashed their way into several stores and businesses and eventually made their, made their way to the Apple store where they stole the new iPhone 15s. Now, AOC famously told us this kind of behavior, the looting, stealing, destroying, is all necessary because these people are just trying to feed their families. Well, in that case, iPhones must be a tasty and nutritious treat. Smash and grabs, mass looting, teens attacking one another and seeking to hurt and even kill complete strangers for fun. This is the new normal. Is anyone surprised? The message went out in 2020 loud and clear. The death of George Floyd gives everyone a free pass to do as they want and call it justice. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if brick and mortar stores cease to exist in 10 years. I don't care how loving and liberal these corporations want to act like they are. None of them can sustain this level of looting and shoplifting. So get ready to be buying everything online, probably with the government's digital currency. All of these things that appear to be out of control, mishandling or mismanagements by Democrats, you know, the crime, border invasion, the collapsing economy and unaffordable reality of just existing are actually not whoopsies. They are calculated and all part of the plan. With chaos comes control. Never forget that. Those are my losers of the week and my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.